There she is. Hi. It's Wednesday. My favorite day. Look at your pretty flowers. I decided that it's like you always have cool stuff in the background, so I should put this in the line of sight. Yes. Uh, we're going to move the trash can out of the way. It's like, Kevin, really? The trash can? There we go. We're getting ready for Phoenix. So everybody is packing and buying things and packing things and... So when I went to the, so this is my last Wednesday morning off of work to go to the grocery store and they had these flowers and it's one of those happenstances when your favorite colors just show up. And then this has been down on my desk downstairs and I thought Kim has her leap award and her symposium awards so i should put this there at least in the line of sight yeah yet ruth is at my clinic because that's the only thing i bring there and there's something about that plaque that needs to just come with me to work to give me inspiration and strength she hangs out with us somehow if you as she said I'll just have to help Dr. McMakin from the other side. And so I have a feeling that <clears throat> this year, the other side is a little more crowded than it was in years past with people elbowing to help us. So it's good. We could always use the help. Can't we? That inspiration perspiration, all of those good things. And you know, it's funny because I had all these ideas for, as I prepare for I know everything. And what I had lined up just didn't seem to feel right because we were really troubleshooting last week. And I know everybody's on pins and needles. If I had any breakthroughs, I know you had an idea in the middle of the night that you sent me. And I'm so grateful for that. A lot of people wrote me emails I took two more swings at it, and then we had to have the come to Jesus conversation that she couldn't come back anymore. Uh, yep, that's an important conversation. So I wanted to talk about that because we go on these beautiful roller coasters of working with people, and we get so inspired with FSM. And I think we have those moments. Like I think many professions, and the more people I talk to about this, it's not just an anomaly for FSM practitioners, but I think. We do see it a lot where we go on these waves and especially when you first get certified, like you're fixing everybody. Piece of cake. Everything is a piece of cake. And then all of a sudden that stops. And what I love talking to you and more seasoned practitioners than I is that it happens to everybody because you start to really take it personally that you failed. What am I missing? Yeah. And so the word this week or the phrase is sometimes it's just not enough and that's okay. Oh, yeah. You have to sometimes set a boundary that everything that you're throwing at this is the best that you can do and it's not working. I have one patient that I actually lent him a custom care. He's got mold exposure. 
and I lent him a converter. And when I see him in person, he always feels better at the end of the session. And his anxiety is, I asked him about it, is what, what's going on with you? I'm afraid I'm just never going to get over this. That what you focus on, you create that what you fear. Yeah. And he hasn't used the converter and custom care. I just had a spare at the clinic that I use in the clinic. I lent it to him. He's been gone for a week. And he's, there are times when you have to ask yourself, sometimes you can't ask the patient, but it's okay. What do you get out of this? If you can't get better, what's right. in it for you? Because he won't take, he's got mold. Right. He's saying the best mold guy in the country. Right. Who prescribed this stuff. He won't take it. I'm afraid of the mold in my environment. I'm afraid of mold in the room and I have to keep changing rooms and I get dizzy when I go into this room and I do that. And it's, you understand that the problem with the mold is that it's inside you. Yes, you get more symptoms when you're in a moldy space, but the mold is colonized inside. That's why you're supposed to take that pill. I'm afraid of the side effects. Okay, then keep the mold. But it's in your sinuses and it's in your gut. It's colonized and your immune system can't fight it off. We, we are part of, I don't know what the statistic is, 20% of the population that can't fight off mold. Mold increases inflammation, which increases anxiety and depression. And so I, I get that with mold patients. They come in anxious and usually turning on their vagus and using the frequencies for mold in the vagus, mold in the midbrain is enough to quiet that down for at least a while, for at least long enough that they recognize it. And he said, maybe I can borrow it for another week and come back and see you. And said, no, I'm leaving Monday for two and a half weeks. So no, just bring it back Friday. We're done. And he'll go on seeing other practitioners and not doing what they say. It's that... We have to meet them, I think, where they come from. <clears throat> wow. Say that again. We have to meet them where they come from. Yeah. They, yes. they come to us in a certain mental and emotional state with a background of their personality. It, I never knew that a degree in psychology and counseling would come in so handy. Who wow. You are always my go-to with these patients that... I see with chronic things because I'm a fix it guy and the athlete athletic population wants to get fixed. I have to change my prescription because they're going to do more than what I tell them. If I want them to do an exercise three times a day with eight reps, I have to tell them twice a day for four reps because they're going to double everything thinking more is better. Exactly. So this has been a big journey and test and learning curve for me dealing with patients who are resistant, oppositional, defiant sometimes. Oppositional defiant is a really good, I've read everything on the internet, so I know more than you do. It's like, right. So where are you is what I want to say. Then what? And that was my first prescription for him. The first or second day that he came was right. 
you may not look up anything on the internet for a month. No, just no, don't do that. And then there's this lovely woman who has had two spine surgeries, fusions, one of which she didn't need, but that's another conversation. So she's fused from T10 to S2. And she had a knee replacement and a knee revision on that leg. And the muscles and bursa around the knee were always sore. The left leg, the left foot, I should show you this. They told her that she overpronated with your left foot. And so when she overpronated, her second toe curled over her big toe. And then her little toe did that because she overpronated. You look at her left foot and her talus is dislocated. It slid out to the side. It's, and what are they, why are you not wearing a brace or something? Yeah. They have me in one, a gauntlet that laces up, that goes from my foot to halfway up my calf. And I just can't wear it. It's too uncomfortable and hard to put on. So so I use my, I don't use the stretchy tape because I'm ignorant and don't have time to take the stretchy tape class, but leukotape I know how to use. So I put her talus back under her tibia and taped it up across the side, put the talus where it belonged and anchored it around the back. And that helped. And then the next day, she, and then treated the joint. And then the next day, it the talus still wasn't quite right. So I took the medial talus, no, the lateral talus. So I took the talus medial to lateral and shoved it and taped it under the tibia. Then I took the lateral talus and grabbed it from the front and pulled it up and back so that it was actually anchored. She can walk on her left foot for the first time in 18 years. Yes. Okay, then. She's seen PTs and OTs, and you just have to let that go. Yeah. The mental part of it, she was ready. She had left elbow pain. They went in, she fell and landed on her elbow. And they took out the bursa because the bursa got inflamed and stuck to things. So I just treated scarring in the nerve and scarring in the periosteum and inflammation in the periosteum. So now her left arm works. And then her right arm had an opinion about what C7 was doing and her right arm works. And then we just did a custom care with low back pain and facets on it. And she was here for five days and she's, has hope susan said she told me before she left that she has hope for the first time in 18 years but she'd already done the mental work right guy with ms and a wheelchair he's 53 he got it when he was 25 he's done all this psychological and family of origin and being abused and in an abusive marriage and just as he says not having a voice and he's done all the mental and emotional work and last time 
I treated him. First three times I treated him, we worked on the myelin and the immune system and reducing inflammation. And each time his right hand grip strength went from just below five to up to 11, up to 19, up to 24. And then last time, time before last, he said, I want to work on my pineal gland and those sulfagio frequencies. And instead of A440, it's supposed to be A432 or something. So I did what he said. And his right hand grip strength went back down to five. And it's okay, that didn't work. But I did what he wanted. And so this time he said, let's go back to what worked. I like the numbers getting better. So yesterday we went from 4.8 to 11.8. Wow. Working on the myelin for inflammation, necrosis, increased secretions, quieting the immune system, concussion in Vegas, and on him. Because of the way he describes his meditation practice, I always run TTH and emotions. And so we got to 11.8. That's fantastic. Talk about necrosis for a minute, because that's a weird one. True. Necrosis means necro, means dead. Yeah, yeah. And we found out for necrosis, what do you do? It's, right. Is it dead? Yeah. <clears throat> when I first got, st- what we th- we thought was the myelopathy in my spinal cord that was making my lower extremities tight, my right hand as well as my left hand tight. Um, 81 and 10 always could loosen the lower extremities. And I, when I was working with Ben Catholi and Shirley Hartman to film that Matrix episode, Ben was working on my neck. I was working on Shirley. Ben was working on me. And he said, I wonder what 54 would do. And 54 worked better than 81. So the descending motor pathways were not only not secreting, they weren't secreting because they were dying. So maybe necrosis is not dead, but headed there. So I'll run necrosis in the cartilage. When we treat Alzheimer's, we run necrosis in various parts of the cortex. Parkinson's, you run necrosis in the basal ganglia. And on this guy, I run necrosis in the myelin because he's had MS for almost 25 years. I think sometimes I get so excited because I feel like the words that we have on the laminate and yes, I use the buddy, but I use my laminates because I feel like the laminate is there for guided inspiration. It, the wonkiest numbers will just come flying off the page. Pick me. And I'm like, what's up with that? No. Yeah. You're, you don't fit, but actually, and then it's almost like just like translating the word a little bit or seeing if the word could be interpreted in a different way. So like you said, with necrosis, right? Like I have this whole unit on the sports advanced course 
where the slide literally says sarco something because I don't know if it's sarcomere, sarcolemma, or sarcoplasm because it's indicated 46 works in all those different structures. How do you know something that is so minute, right? But it's like the hypoxia frequency. That's exactly how I started using it in frozen shoulder. It's the same sort of thing. It's not the person is not hypoxic, but the tissue isn't getting adequate oxygen because it doesn't have adequate blood supply. Fair isn't enough. That's so cool. It's and then it either works. This is the cool part. Then it either works or it doesn't. Exactly. And I'm not saying every frozen shoulder needs to run hypoxia, but sometimes it really does work and no harm, no foul. It's not going to make anything worse by doing a drive-by on it to see if there's some sort of tissue there that just needs a little extra stuff. A little extra, whatever 880 and 7.4 does, which we have no data about. No, other than just anecdotal evidence when somebody can do 90 degrees and then 180 degrees. And when somebody with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis feels lighter and his saturation goes from 87 to 93 for 24 hours so that's cool <laughs> just okay. like what we just said i think it's just in 10 seconds and then i was telling these patients that come from she had crps after an ankle fracture the repair surgery and then she walked around on that And then they finally did an ankle replacement and she got CRPS again. And so I was explaining where the frequencies came from and why it is, what little data that we have. Jay Shaw is bringing himself to the advanced symposium for a 90 minute lecture to, I said, if you can do in 90 minutes, what we usually give you six hours to do, it would be much appreciated. So he's coming. And so explaining what the cytokine data shows, it's the only data that we have. And of the frequencies that are on the list, we have no idea how somebody in 1920 decided that 396 hertz was the frequency for the nerve. But after using it, I don't know, 30,000 times, pretty sure that if you want to treat the nerve, you've got to use 396 as tissue because nothing else works. And the fact that data is lost, that history is lost. So it's, and now that I'm cleaning out George's house, I know how it was lost. There are books that he gathered that I don't know what to do with. How do you, because they don't make any sense. They have, there's a background that I don't know anything about. When you read a book that describes what a kitchen is, there's this blue vase on the countertop in the kitchen next to the sink. First, you have to have a visual on what a blue vase is. You have to know what a kitchen is and you have to know roughly where the sink usually is and what its function is in a kitchen. So that one little sentence 
in that book has a lot of context that we bring to it just because we know what a kitchen and a vase and a sink are for. So you go back to a book on frequency medicine that was written in 1924. And they describe these points on the abdomen that you tap and how this and that and the other thing. And it's, I don't have the context. And is there anybody left alive that has the context? That, so I'll hang on to them. But then they sound magical. Like I want to see them. They're incomprehensible. And no, I'm not going to bring them because I'm already bringing full precision cures in the second suitcase. Okay. Just take pictures of them for me. Okay. I will. It's so fun. I know. And I know so many of the people who come to the sports course, especially like the, the sports guys, the trainer guys, the science guys, they want the history, they want the date. How do we know 124 is this? And how do we know? And that used to be like the anxiety question that I would get. And now I'm like, I'm so over it that I'm like, you believe it or you don't. And I trust me after day one, you're going to believe it. You're not even going to care where 124 came from because it works. Because it works. So one thing, and that's all that it does. Yeah. And you recognize when a tissue is torn and broken because, so this lady with the knee replacement. Yeah. The place that she was sore was along the TFL on the lateral side of the knee under the kneecap. That's not nerve. Right. Could be scarring of the nerve. Then you look at what they do when they do a knee replacement, and that's don't watch. But I wonder. So there's that little bird on your shoulder says, I wonder. Right. Just did the tendon get torn and broken? So I set up one machine from her low back to just blow her kneecap and run 124 and 77. And 60 minutes later, she doesn't have any pain there anymore. Wow. How do you know that 124 does what it's supposed to do? After you use it 10,000 times, it always does the same thing. And that's all that it does. So pretty sure that it works. Fegio frequencies, nah, no, I know there are a lot of believers, but. I'll use them once in a while, again, in the background, like I don't use it to ever treat anything. It's never my for pain reduction or scar to tissue elimination, but sometimes maybe like, I just don't have enough mileage with it, or I don't have enough like great experiences to be in love with them yet. And I say that because I have a growth mindset. But just kind of you, uh, yeah, maybe they prepare the patient's field for yes and I've had good success with I can't I don't know them all but it was one of them that I used almost as a prep for a scar tissue and I do think it yeah prepared it or cleared something out of the way for like my go-to guys to go in there yeah but when we're getting ready I'm getting ready to do a slideshow, which I won't do until between the core and the advanced for Georgia's memorial. It's what did I learn from George Douglas? What changed 
and how we think about how the body works. This whole concept of did you hear what we just said? No, I know, right? Preparing the field for what comes next. Who thinks that way in medicine? Certainly not me. Where did we learn to think that way? But I'm waiting for inspiration to put that on a 10 slide. It'll come to you. It'll come. It always does. Always does. I have two interesting talking points today. One is one is fascia. And as people may or may not know, I've been a huge fascia geek in the past year, especially. And I think a lot of us in manual therapy are inundated with these different types of theories, whether it's the biotensegrity model or whatever, I think you have to be open to the possibility that fascia is more than the saran wrap that covers muscle, the stuff that we used to cut away in our gross anatomy labs, right? Like that, that we used to just snip it away to get at the good stuff. And I think we as practitioners have a deeper respect for what fascia does. So we all know that fascia moves in this web and it's beautiful and We've worked a lot with increasing the secretions to the fascia, which we contribute to increasing the ground substance, correct? So I had a patient that I thought for sure, because I'm taking all this new fascial line training, not just about how the fascia is used for mobility, but the newer theories are that fascia is in fact innervated and is innervated at a speed of 700 miles per impulse as opposed to brain muscle connection which is 175 miles per impulse um, what the, the fact that fascia is innervated is a new concept to many people okay I, okay i'm having all right they're fine but of course it's innervated thank you Innervated in a way that it can move levers. How about that? You think? Sorry. I am telling you, there. at least we're having more and more data to support what we've all always known. To support what is freaking obvious to the casual observer. So, and the way, how do, wait, how do I get so cheeky about this when there are experts that are saying look what we just found out and my because I'm a clinical researcher thank you and I have this tool that only works when you do the right thing so I'd say back in 1998 99 if you wanted the fascia to let go you had to release the scarring between the nerve and the fascia that would only be necessary if the fascia was innervated. Right? Okay. I rest my case. Continue. I'll come down, really. I'll be good now. Come with me on a different path for a minute. Okay, go. As a strength coach, we would never think we would need to train the fascia. Fair enough. So we'll start in this building block, right? If we wanted somebody to be stronger we 
talked about neuro recruitment. We talked about hypertrophy. We talked about all these things, but all these things had to do with brain, nerve, muscle. That was it. As long as the fascia goes along with the gag. So our dear friend, Charles Poliquin did most amazing research in the nineties, I believe. And don't quote me on this. And it was about hamstring hypertrophy. And these gentlemen could only have limitations with how much hamstring hypertrophy they could get because of the fascia limitations, right? So the fascia was like constricting the muscle from growing. And if the fascia wasn't pliable, the hypertrophy stopped regardless of how much overload there was. It's fascinating. So I think about this all the time. Anyways, I had this patient. I thought for sure. She just needed increasing the secretions to the fascia. It felt like that was the modus operandi at that moment because I had done everything else. 81 and 142 made everything worse. Huh? In a split second. What did she have originally? A lot. Okay. Uh, but it, in that moment, we were treating neck, anterior scalenes. Oh, yeah. Unremarkable imaging. No, 80, 81 and 142 would make it worse if 124 and 100 is what she needed. I did what I did that because I, I thought right away about laxity in the neck. Yay. Okay. That was Which my Why, after getting the pain down, range of motion, doing muscle setting exercises, we needed to secretions in the fascia because like I said all this training that I'm doing we're showing that fascia is innervated in a way that can create strength if you're treating the fascia lines properly made everything worse please tell me you figured out why because now it uh... so when 81 and anything makes something worse I just think the antidote has to be 40 yeah so without even thinking, I went from 81 to 40. Oh, it's better. Huh. Can I say that's a good face? So thank goodness when you're doing a supine cervical, they don't see you. Because I'm just like, what just happened? It's crazy. So the only thing I can think of is if the fascia is innervated in a way that we don't yet fully understand. So like I said, we're talking about impulses traveling 700 miles per hour versus 175 miles per hour. If we're increasing the secretions in this way that has more of a neural innervation component, it could be too much too soon. My Say that again. It could be too much. If we're thinking of if the fascia is innervated in a way that can help motor control and can help increase the stability and the strength of a structure on a sensitive patient that had maybe ligature laxity, that had something that was torn and broken, 81 and 142 was too much, set everything off. Ran 40, takes everything down. So my happy place was 49. 142 because I still firmly believed we needed to treat the fascia the fascia was like if it made something worse and then I could make it better I have to think that there's still something involved in the middle yeah so I and I had tried 124 and 77 or and 177 when I treat the ligament for 
124. I always treat the connective tissue and the fascia. I just take those three of them together. Right. So 49 and 142, she could have just levitated right out of my clinic. That feels amazing. Put it on her custom care. 49 and 142 has been the only thing in three years that keeps the pain down. As a single. Just let it run for 40 minutes once a day. Okay, fine. So I have these conversations where I'm a total failure and nothing's enough. And then I have these like breakthrough moments and that's life as an FSM practitioner. It's a teaching experience moment. Right. It's- Remember like Ben, when we had Ben Catholi on and Dave Burke, and it was Ben that was talking about using 49 sometimes instead right. of 81 in circumstances. Right. And so he came to visit me or the sentence that he said on that podcast floated right. into the clinic and jumped in my brain and was like, maybe 49 is the way to go. And I don't know why, oh. but you don't know then. Okay. That's note to self. Oh, it's, I'm so excited about Ben and Dave and. We're so excited. We have this little, this little, we have you on a chat and then the three of us have a little chat and it's just, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> Do we have any questions before we go too far here? I'm just trying to say Lorena, Lorena, it's a pretty name in the hip post-op protocol day four to week three. Is there any reason not to increase the one twenty fours to more than four minutes? No. I, you can put 124 is sometimes 30 minutes. It's just a matter of how long the patient will sit there and run it. Right. Yeah. Leaf is freaking out. Do not throw out the books. No, I'll send it to you. I'll find a way to get them to you because I'm typing the reply, which is. Leaf, are you coming to the advanced? I feel like we know each other and I just want to meet you in person. Are you coming? That'd be fun. Maddie wrote, I watched a cool interview with Andrew Huberman. I do love Andrew Huberman. That adipose is innervated too. Yes. Okay. Every, okay. Everybody. But, okay. There, there's, can I get, do I get to say it? I don't know who Andrew Huberman is, but of course, <laughs> adipose is innervated. He's a fantastic podcast. He's like a Stanford neuro neuroscientist, I believe. Another neuro geek? Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. He may be something else. I want to say neuroscientist. He's got some pretty- things innervated. If nothing else, the vagus innervates the blood supply in the omentum, which is the adipose that's in the belly. And so... Of course it's innervated. And it the amazing thing to me, Tom Myers. Who is it? Oh. oh, okay. Why do I know him? He's all over the place. I don't get out. He is Kevin, you're right. Yeah. Kevin is, yes. Where was I? Oh, Tom Myers. I was about to throw three off the list because I couldn't find anything it was good for. Three is sclerosis. And Tom pipes up and says, adipose sclerosis, it doesn't scar. Really? And 
three is only good for adipose. Doesn't do anything in any other tissue. And somebody said, what's sclerosis? And I said, sclerosis is what goes away when you run three. I don't yeah. know. I've tried three in 142, like with the fascia, because I thought that could maybe work too. And you're right, it doesn't work. No, it was about to, like, seriously, it was about to go away because who would have thought adipose sclerosis? Tom Myers. And you got to believe him. And then you, then it works. It's amazing. It's, and in the strangest places, the belly. Yeah. And underneath wounds. So you have a buddy Prim tore his biceps weightlifting. And it rolled up and he had this big divot. That's a good face. He had this big divot. And when I treated the scar tissue, I got to a place where the subcutaneous fat was scarred down to the bone and treated sclerosis in the adipose. And that took care of that. Do you know where else it's phenomenal that you would never think Tell me. In the posterior compartment of the leg. Oh, really? Listen to this. I had to Google this a couple years ago because I couldn't figure it out. I had a patient who had massive adhesions between like soleus and gastroc was a a marathon runner. Nothing was working. And you know that adipose adhesions, they're like super painful and hard and prickly and bright. And when you're doing manual therapy on them and I'm like, that's adipose, that's not muscle. That's not fascia. And this guy was freaking lean. So you wouldn't even think about adipose. I said, around three and 97 melts. I probably get like an extra 10 degrees of dorsiflexion because the posterior compartment was so tight. So then I started Googling adipose in the posterior compartment. And there is this research article, I actually have it in the sports course because people don't believe me unless I put this article up that proved it. There was a study that these researchers did and they were trying to calculate intramuscular adipose tissue. It's called IMAT. Okay. Gastroc, nine times out of 10, had the highest amount of this intramuscular adipose tissue. Unreal, because I think of gastroc as this like fast twitch, super lean, sexy muscle. That's it's half connective tissue. It's like the you take the Achilles and it goes halfway. Okay. No, it is there. There is data and it's interlaced in the muscle fibers. It's beautifully done and illustrated on the study. You can see it microscopically. It's gorgeous. Why is it there? I don't know. I just believe that it's there and I know that it works. So that's. I believe them, but everything has a purpose. So if you were the body, why would you make the gastroc? My hypothesis is that you're right. It's connected tissue. And we think about how it forms onto the Achilles. Perhaps it's providing elasticity. Perhaps it's providing a what? It provides slidiness. Yeah. It's the only thing I could think of, right? Like why adipose is helpful. Fair enough. That's cool. I know. Nifty. Who would have thought? But yeah, so let's think about, let's never forget adipose tissue because it is everywhere. Okay. Yeah, it's 
Yeah. The, yeah. I have another head scratcher for you. I'm going to have to pull up the email because this is a patient that I love and she listens to the podcast. So she's given me permission to talk about her case. I've asked you about her in the past. She's a tricky one, my little friend. I'll summarize really quickly. Ehlers-Danlos, MCAS, mold, SIBO. Yeah, that's... Those go together. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like we're never addressing things for too long before something else gets out of balance. And I know you always say MCAS is easy, but... MCAS is temporary, but the Ehlers-Danlos is temporary, and that leads to the vagus getting turned down, and that leads to MCAS, and then mold just complicates everything. Right. So I have made a beautiful MCAS protocol for her. She has a SIBO protocol. She has concussion in Vegas. We've interspliced sulfagio. It seems to work a little bit. We made an emotional support one. I have her torn connective tissue ones. Of course, she has her Ehlers-Danlos one. She has mold, kidney support, adrenal support, GI, histamine, EMF program. There's only so much swimming programs a day you can run. So right. I'd like to... She has a converter. You yeah. can one long one that runs at night. Yeah. But still. Like we, we've made a lot of progress, especially in the gut, which is very cool. But now she has a lot of like gassy, like belching. It's like upper um, GI stuff that seems to be exacerbating all the other symptoms. I did add gas in the small intestine and it helped quite a bit before things got a bit worse. So this is a case where we have so many tools and you feel like you have so much, but maybe it's the structure, maybe it's the organization, maybe it's the frequency. I don't know. What do you think? Yes, it's only upward, not downward. Right. It's a belching. It's a burping type of gas. See, that makes me think of too much acid, which makes me think of the one patient that I just got off the phone with before the podcast, the only patient I had to run quiet the vagus on because his resting pulse was 49 and he has a medical diagnosis of achalasia, burping, belching, can't pretty much can't eat because anything eats turns into gas and belching. And that goes on for hours, drives him crazy. Hmm. And I ran 40 and 109, quiet the Vegas. Yeah. And that, and did a physical exam. Yeah. And he had a 2 3 disc, the Vegas nerve, maybe it was 2 3, 3 4. The Vegas nerve comes right down next to it. And I treated the disc quieted the vagus, did the supine cervical, and his achalasia went away for four days. Okay, I'm going to try it. She's coming in tomorrow. I, uh, but then if she's got others Danlos, what that usually turns the vagus down. So that's why we've been putting concussion and vagus in there as much as we have. The only other thing with Ehlers-Danlos that has turned out to be a surprise is the number of them that have tethered cord. Ah, 
So they haven't done yet. Trunk range of motion. And the vagus isn't intradural. So no. that's not going to be a piece of it. And I have no idea how it's related, but maybe. Can't hurt. Well, at least to look at it. I want to say I did that like way back when in the beginning when I first started seeing her, but maybe it's worth a re a recheck. Because sometimes we forget about that stuff, right? Like we, we find all these other layers and we forget about the basic things that we started with that helped. And especially with patients that have all these interlocking pieces, mold, MCAS, others downloads, the SIBO, the vagus, the emotional stuff. Like it's just, there's, and you get excited because you're like, oh, I have a frequency for that. I have a frequency for that. I can help with that. And so there's only so many hours in a day. I have one Ehlers-Danlos patient. We treated her for Ehlers-Danlos one time. Range of motion is completely normal four months down the road. The tethered cord comes back every two weeks. And she has an empty cella. She's missing her anterior, it's a good face, anterior pituitary, and she can't find an endocrinologist that will measure her regulatory hormones and her peripheral hormones outside my lane yeah and i don't know who to send her to it's just it's really frustrating so sometimes the visits are like fuck her up she gets a little bit stoned and then she starts talking and i just sit there with my mouth open it didn't they what they what how could okay yeah okay so before I move on to the third thing, Thad wrote something very interesting. Significant amounts of body adipose, adipose, adipose tissue is located adjacent to potential energy needs. Gastroc may need a lot of energy when you have a sudden need to run or when you're a marathon runner and that's all you're doing is running. Yeah. You do a lot of towing off and all of that. that makes sense. He would do, I don't know if people have heard of sky races. So you're not just running a marathon, you're running a marathon on top of the highest altitude that you can. And you're just running on top of a mountain and doing an ultra marathon way up there. Yikes. Yeah. Because when you do marathons and then you do trail running, I guess that's the next progression in the challenge bucket. Okay. I am running a half marathon on March 5th. Yay. I love the half marathon distance because it's not too much but it's long enough. So on Monday, I ran 15 miles because a half marathon is 13.1. So I'm in the part of the training where I'm running way more than I'm supposed to. So 13.1 is going to be a piece of cake. And I felt my knee starting to get grumpy at about mile nine. Mile nine and a 15 mile run is a bad time for your knee to start. Expressing an opinion. Yes. And do you know what I thought instead of my knee is grumpy? All I could think of is numbers were coming to me. (laughs) So instead of thinking, is it the tibial plateau? Is it the meniscus? I'm thinking, oh, when I get home, I have to run 124 and 77, 124 and meniscus. I'm thinking of exactly what I need to run. And I did have the common sense to bring home my precision care and some stickies. And I hooked myself up and I know I would have been feeling it the next day. I woke up totally fine. And the the first thing that occurs to me is you need a new pair of shoes with medial posting. 
Okay. I am in love with my running shoes, but I'm open to suggestions. I went to this running store a couple months ago. To, they do the 3D printing and they bring you all these shoes and they tell you exactly what you need. They do this very integrative biomechanical scan. They let you take the shoes and go for a run and come back and take another pair of shoes and go for a run and come back. I didn't like any of them. Oh. I love my own shoes. So anyways, that's neither here nor there. Formation is the enemy to a medial meniscus. Yeah. It's just, you take it, 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 it's this thing. Yeah. Although I felt it on the lateral, the lateral horn. The lateral horn. Yeah. Oh. Okay. You'll figure it out. I will. And when I think of anything on the lateral knee, I want to go back to this IT band TFL stuff. And I just have to vent for a second because... Just like you were like, everybody knows the fascia is innervated. I need to make sure everybody realizes that the IT tract, the iliotibial band, is non-contractile, folks. The IT band cannot contract. It is a band of fibrous connective tissue that just sits there and is controlled by little Napoleon, which is what we call TFL. Teeny muscle. Yeah. Like a minnow, only bigger. So people, please don't treat the TFL like it's a vascularized contractile piece of connective tissue. Don't roll it. Don't thump it. Don't smash it. Don't treat it like the delicate piece of non-contractile tissue that it is. That's all I have to say. True story. And when you look at the IT band and the nerve rootlets that come through it, it has got to be the most enervated stretch of connective tissue any place right except maybe the thoracolumbo fascia there's if you look at it there's little teeny nerve rootlets coming out and the it band rolling on it makes me cringe physically ill and people roll that thoracolumbar fascia too and they're like it really hurts and i'm like yeah it does do it and you're bursting the little vessels that are underneath it. And then they're getting trapped. So you've got bleeding underneath the fascia that is non-contractile and it gets stuck. And what do you think happens after it bleeds? It scars. So you're just creating more and more scar tissue. I'm getting so worked up today. Apologize. Physical trigger words today. Um, something. For the top orthopedic consultant to Nike, the shoes are only designed for 300 to 500 miles of use along with the cushion needing just to come back to their normal state. Okay, so Alf, so this is funny because I am a Nike geek. This is the only shoe that I run in and that I use the Nike and part of the Nike running club app. So I track all my runs. So my app tells me when my shoes are done. Oh, and that's why I love Nike and I love my shoes so much. Lots of dumb moments today. Yes. Yes. Dumb moments. Like it makes us feel like the cool kids. Sometimes we are. And being a cool kid, we're going to be able to do the podcast side by side at the advance very soon. I can't believe it. Yeah, what are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next week? We're going to be in the ballroom with, no? Where? On the Santan room? Last year we were in the ballroom as you guys were setting up. Yeah. But I'm not there next week. Oh, not next week. Oh, next week. Next week is the next, next week. Is the oh, okay. No, the weekend after the week after that. 
We're so together. it's your new podcast next week? Oh, next week. We'll be at the first day of the first day of the core at three o'clock. So I you will be busy. Take an hour out. So who are you going to have on? <laughs> the first day of the core at three o'clock in the afternoon. Or we take a pause for a week. We could take a pause for a week. I don't know. We could invite everybody to watch a webinar on Ellers Downloads that you did or the Vegas webinar, maybe as it's a very busy week for myself because I'm also getting ready for the sports courses and the sports advanced course. Yeah. And I'm actually going to be coming directly from Vegas because my daughter is playing a hockey final in Vegas. So I get to take her to her hockey game and then bring all my stuff with me to Vegas and then Vegas to Arizona. Uh-huh. Okay, then. It's fine. Okay, so we're going to take next one day off. Or Kevin can can throw something in the feed. Kevin can put something in the feed and play a rerun. Sure. Popular ones. Some of them have got like 1,200 hits or something. Yes. Short's got 1,200. Yeah, so he can do that. Stay tuned. It'll be a surprise. Yes. Yay. So my quote is a weird one. It is a, a hybrid or a, not a hybrid. It is a interpretation of something that Marcus Aurelius said. Oh, okay. Been reading some stuff on stoicism lately because it it's, I think, very helpful to have an intent. So I have this book and it's 350, 365 days of meditation from like the Stoics. And then they give a little interpretation of it, some stuff about stoicism. And it's, yeah, I have a minor in philosophy and a minor in theology, just taking the required courses at a Jesuit university. So there's that. And what I can tell practitioners who are listening is beware of stoics. So they have a happy face a neutral face. They tell you their pain is a five. You look at their pain diagram. You look at their imaging. You look at their history. You played football and lacrosse. And then you did marathons or half marathons in your 20s. And now you're in your 40s and you have this and that and the other thing. So as an athlete, you have to be something of a stoic or you're not an athlete. Right. So the thing that practitioners need to know is, and you don't bust, you don't tell the patient this because they need to be left in their own little fantasy world that my pain is only a four. Right. And you look at everything and you look at the physical exam where they have hyperactive reflexes, they have reflexes that are missing. One of the Babinskis is equivocal. The other one is down going. And in your heart of hearts and in your clinical mind, you know that their pain is someplace between a six and a seven. You run the pinwheel around C6 and their arm breaks into a sweat. Their Mm -hmm. pain is a seven. Right. And that is the risk in treating Stoics. Right. Is not only are there 
extraordinarily suppressing pain, they're really good at it. Yeah. When you make their pain go from a seven to what is now really a four, they may not recognize it because they were so good at suppressing it. We haven't really done anything. This thing that was icky is now normal. Oh, yeah. Remember that. So it's stoicism has its uses. And the stoic philosophy is useful at times. Yes, at times, for sure. I am a little firecracker. I'm very reactive. So I find sprinkling in a little stoicism helps me like just channel stuff sometimes and set the intention for the day. I still go off the rails, but that's okay. I come back to the middle again. So the little mantra that I have, and I had given this to my teenagers and their team, says, I have the power to keep that out. I know the truth. Oh, I like that. And I think it, it's very applicable for patients. I know it's, that has helped me talking with skeptics, right, of FSM. So I, we talked, we started the podcast about it. We know what it does. We've seen it. We know it works. And we know the truth. And the nice thing is it's one of the most wonderful things to do to a skeptic because part of the reason that people are skeptics and is ego. Yeah. It's a power position. It's a let me put you down position because I don't believe in what you're doing. And one of the high points of my life was sitting there with my hands on a patient's knee or whatever was fortunately for me your belief has absolutely no effect of my absolutely no influence on my effectiveness whether or not this works and it just it's true so that's the reverse power position it's like you and the other one is joining them it's i don't blame you half the time I'm doing things. I'm doing things that even I don't believe. What I just did is impossible in any world. And I can do it 9,997 times out of 10,000. Yeah. Go ahead and explain that to me. When a placebo effect is only good for 30%. So there it is. That's the FSM version of manner. Yes, as stoic, as stoic as I try to become, the inner me is still doing that. I'm Italian. I just it's not my genes to be stoic. No, mine. But I'm, I'm open to trying things. Oh, say your quote again. I love your quotes. I have the power to keep that out. I know the truth. Yep. Na 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 na. It's always inward. <laughs> All right. We will not see you next week, but I will see you shortly in person. So excited. I'm going to miss you. See everybody on the next Wednesday live together. It'll be fun. Yay. But can we find a way of doing kind of a podcast during one of the practicums at 3.30? I can join you. If we go from 3 o'clock in Phoenix, so we usually take a break between... 3 and 3.30 and start a practicum at 3.30. Is that correct? There's a break at 3.30. That could be good. Well, let's talk. 
we'll figure something out. So people, there will be something for you next Wednesday. I'm addicted to this. It's we'll have to figure it out. Okay, we will. Have a great week. You too. See you. See you. Bye, Liz. Bye, Elf. Bye, Maddie. Bye, everybody. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.